Hello and welcome to Sense in the City. I'm Ruby Bookaboo, the co-founder and your Sydney host, and I'll be taking you on some sensory adventures in and around the Emerald City. Sense in the City originated as a book, a special kind of book, about Paris and the ways to engage with the city through your senses, what to see, hear, taste, smell, touch and feel. As a travel writer and part-time Parisian, I'd produced many articles, guides and videos about Paris over the years to help people experience the best of the city. But this was something special, more tactile, more sensual, more fun. The book guides you to the best panoramic cocktail bars, the most emotive organ concerts, the tastiest croissants, the most divine perfumes, and even to underground Paris and all it has to offer. And of course, Paris wouldn't be Paris without the jazz that spills out of the cafes with live concerts all over the capital every night of the week, that plays till late in the underground jazz clubs, that most taxi drivers have on to make your trip more smooth and cinematic. Amongst the Paris players are some extremely talented Australian musicians. I once wrote a cover story for Qantas In Flight magazine about six of them, including Chris Cody. Chris is a consummate pianist and an extremely talented composer. In 2015, Chris moved back to Sydney with his Parisian wife and Franco-Australian children. So for this episode of Sense in the City, I'm meeting up with Chris near his home, Maruba Beach, in the southeast of Sydney, for a stroll down the sand. I'm interested in hearing Chris's insights into how he sensed Sydney after being away for 20 years, and in particular, how Sydney sounds to him through his expert musician ears. We'll find out about his recent projects and how location influences his thoughts and compositions. So I'm at Maruba Beach. And Maruba is where Chris lives. Do you come down to the beach a lot? I bet you do. I do, yeah, every day, just about. How long have you been here? Uh, I've been living in Maruba since I moved back to Australia. So nearly seven years now. I can't believe it's gone so fast. But yeah, since I moved back from Paris, France. You've been living there for 20 years? Yeah, altogether about 21 years or so. Yeah, that's right. Um, And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd studied here but then you know took off to Paris when I'd finished my music studies uh, and I'd also studied French philosophy and, and I'd always had this dream to go live in France so I you know after a few months in New York and then London I settled in Paris and uh, only knew one one other musician David Lewis yes that's David Lewis exactly uh, well spotted and um, and he sort of you know showed me where the jam jams were and introduced me to musicians and I got my first gig and basically just build it up from there and I'd play anywhere, anywhere and everywhere. I mean, I played all over Europe in the end and was playing, you know, festivals and concerts and uh, recorded albums in France. Well, when um, I met you, it was when I did the article for Qantas magazine, remember? Yes. I came over yeah. and did an interview in your little apartment in Paris near the Centre Pompidou. That's right. And you had a piano that was nearly the size of the apartment. <laughs> Yes, it did take up quite a decent proportion. <laughs> and you were overlooking, uh, you had a little balcony overlooking the Marais. The yes. Marais. Yeah, I remember that apartment very fondly. It was near all the jazz clubs, the most important thing. It was near, right next to the Rue des Lombards, where there were three of Paris's major jazz clubs. So, when you came back, what was your first impressions of Australia after being away in terms of sights, smells, tastes, uh, 
sensations. To be completely honest, yeah, I was. I got off the plane and I remember thinking, gee, the people look different. After living in Paris, which is such a cosmopolitan city, and I mean Sydney is too, but in Paris, just lots of different basic um, colours, shapes and sizes, very exotic, which I absolutely loved. Um, but, but having said that, Sydney's obviously changed a lot. I noticed there was a lot more traffic um, and there's been a lot more immigration. So the visual aspects, I guess, sort of changing. Uh, and, and Sydney too has become more multicultural. And all those little things, it was very much a sensorial thing. The difference in architecture and the type of cars people drive. Everyone was in four-wheel drives here, SUVs, whereas in Paris they still drive little smart cars or bicycles. <laughs> you know, they get around in all sorts of things. Um, and what about sound? Well, here we can actually, we're actually walking down the beach, so we can hear the crashing waves. You well, don't get that in Paris. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. In Paris you've got sirens and sound of people and cars, traffic. Uh, whereas in Sydney, yeah, it's fantastic living by the, the beach. Being able to come down here and, and here get a good dose of oxygen and breathe the fresh air and have a swim. Uh, smell the... Smell the, the, exactly, the seaweed and the, the iodine and the, all of that sort of stuff. It's fantastic. I, I, I love it. And it's, it's very, it took a while to get used to that because it felt, you know, sort of so calm after Paris. What sensations? Obviously the sun. <laughs> you don't get as much of that in Paris. No, although today's not the most sunny day in Sydney either, is it? But uh, There is, I mean, it's not glimpses. dark and grey. It's yeah, overcast. It's a bit windy, it's a bit Maybe, cold. Uh, we should take this moment to just describe where we are right now. Uh, where are we? <laughs> we're, we're, chasing, we're, we're walking, we're the we're walking end, behind a seagull. We're following a seagull. <laughs> we're on the south end of Maruba Beach, uh, walking south towards the Malabar headland, or South Maruba headland. And uh, with behind us the north end of the beach and the, and the cafes, the Maruba cafes. And uh, we've got the surf literally pounding almost up to our feet, just to our left. And uh, in fact, up to our feet. <laughs> It's a wave. wave. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, it's great. I, 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 I like to come down here it's, you know, every day if possible. And the breeze is walk. pushing us along. Well, it's not cold though. It's, it's not freezing. It, well, it's the not funny like thing Paris about, freezing. Well, yes, but you know? it, see, it's, it's funny you bring that up because you see in Sydney you go outside to warm up. Because most people's houses yeah. and flats, my, my own included, are actually not that well built, I find, I know, or well insulated. it's cold in Sydney in winter, but seriously, it's cold for five weeks, so we're kind of in denial that it gets cold. Yeah, but it, it does but, get cold, but for five weeks, not five months. It's probably, what, 15, 16 degrees or something outside, which is actually quite nice. Whereas inside my place, I'm sure it's probably about 13. So as I say, I go outside to warm up, whereas in Paris, it was the opposite. It was freezing outside in midwinter, often below zero in December, January, and February. Oh. But, um, but then the apartments, the metro, the shops, everything's so incredible. In fact, it's overheated that you don't, unless My you're living outside, you don't get let cold. Me tell you. Wasn't it? It's a little bit <laughs> underheated. Yeah. Apart from one summer, they put the heating up so high by mistake that we all had to sleep with the windows wide open. <laughs> we oh, okay, right. I remember having to do that in New York too. Yeah. So this is quite pretty. Now we're at um, kind of a little rock pool. Yeah, these are the two little rock pools. Uh, protected by a little reef at South Maroubra and this is where the on a sunny day or in summer it's where all the mums and little, little kids that can't swim too well come because the rock pools are really shallow but quite big and there's a lot of fish in them in fact let's go have a so look at this quite sheltered. little pool. and you get seagulls hanging out here and there's often cormorants what's a cormorant? Um, you know a shag yeah, those, those, those birds that dive under the water and eat fish oh. 
Oh, wow. I'm going to take a little photo. At this point in the interview, I stopped the recording to take some photos of Chris in front of the rock pools, the seagulls, and the crashing waves. You can see them on the Instagram page at Sense in the City Sydney or Facebook at Sense in the City World. Time's a little tight. I've got a bus to catch soon to get back to the other side of town. So we turn around and head back down the beach. What I was interested in, as a musician with a very acute sense of hearing, let's talk a little bit about the sounds of Sydney. How do you, how do you hear Sydney? I'm yeah, listening to sounds all the time. And especially when you, you know, stop and, and make an effort to listen to sounds too. So, you know, I can hear the birds, I can hear the plane flying overhead. I can hear the sound of the waves and the surf. Even the sound of the wind um, as it goes past my ears is making a sound. There's even a gentle sound of my feet hitting the sand. So, you, you, yeah, I've always sort of enjoyed just listening to sounds. In fact, just on that headland we were talking about earlier, there's some lovely spots during COVID and when Sydney was in lockdown. I used to go to these spots just to make little short films uh, that were visual, you know, it was video, but it was, it was more about the sound than the, the visual. Um, just little rock pools, watching the, the eddies of the water and the sound that that made. There's another spot on the headland where there's a little bit of swamp and there's some, there's some frogs there that sing um, all together. It's delightful. Uh, so it is nice sometimes to... Music's about, of course, you know, the organisation of sound against silence. So I was just going to say it's nice to have perhaps a little bit more space around the sounds here in Australia, as well as, of course, we have a bit more physical space compared to Paris. And in Paris as well, here, yeah, uh, sonically, it was a fairly dense soundscape. The metro, the cafes, people talking, the sound of just footsteps, cars, buses, there was a lot going on. Scooters, those noisy scooters <laughs> that try to run you over oh, yeah, everywhere. yeah, they used to go past my window at one in the morning. And yeah. I remember once someone fell off. We heard this screeching and then we heard a bang, then we heard someone go, ow! Wow. Yeah, it was like... Is okay? Bonk. Yeah, the, the ambulance came and I think the guy was okay. The other sounds we had in Paris, we used to have, because we were on a square there next to the Pompidou Centre, we had the sounds of demonstrators every Saturday with, with you know, loud hailers for um, demonstrating on all sorts of issues at the time. <laughs> Whether it was the war in Iraq or the plight of um, Syrians. Um, I think there were Myanmar demonstrations, Qigong demonstrations against repression in China. There was all sorts of things going on. We also had a Batacada Brazilian drum school that used to do a samba parade regularly around our, our block. And boy, they made a lot of noise. A bunch of snare drums and whistles and saxophones, brass fanfares. It was a lot of fun, but it, yeah, sometimes it was a bit too much. Yeah. In your recent project, The Outsider, that I had the privilege to go to its debut performance, I think, at Murray's Underground, there's a lot of different rhythms and influences. You had a Syrian oud player and the Turkish percussionist, and it started with a didgeridoo. It was a very, very fusional sound how did that come about and how was that created that was uh, very much uh, inspired by thoughts and feelings that I was having during uh, the whole lockdown period uh, with COVID last year and I'd um, I was looking for new ideas for a new musical project and I had read a lot of Camus uh, just about everything he ever wrote when I was when I was younger 
and some of his books and thoughts and ideas were coming back to me, specific because he wrote a book called The Plague, but also in The Outsider and The Rebel and The Myth of Sisyphus and how human beings respond to challenge and adversity or worse, to sickness and death. And uh, so it seemed particularly relevant uh, with, with COVID, you know, going on all around the world, this pandemic. I had all my work stop, all my, you know, all my concerts were cancelled, a tour back to France, work in New Zealand, Melbourne, New Caledonia. So all one can do as a musician is, well, get back to practicing your instruments and writing music. I was trying to, you know, turn what was a, a negative, I guess, into a positive. So musically, I wanted to capture some of those ideas and uh, emotions, really. But for me, the, the tour often linked, I guess. I didn't want the music to be depressing or a downer in, in any way I wanted it to be instead a, a joyous reaffirmation or response or even an act of rebellion against these challenges that we're all facing uh, and so I had I wrote some African style music in 12-8 with lots of polyrhythms going on with the wood and the percussion but everyone having different roles the horns in tight block chord harmony and uh, so for each piece I tried to bring an identity and a sound, but I did want the overall flavour of the suite of music of pieces to be African and North African with some Middle Eastern influences. So it, it made sense to have an wood player and a percussionist. That was great. That I uh, yeah, that really recommended to me. And uh, the marriage, I guess, between jazz with horns, you know, rhythm section, bass, drums, piano, but then with these other... Uh, you know other sounds that I say that some of the ideas but also some of the feelings that are that are generated by Camus writings and also by our experience in response to COVID. You mentioned also another project about La Perouse. Yes I wanted to write a large-scale project because I'm living here in Maroubra not far from La Perouse. I was going to La Perouse quite often I started investigating him uh, this famous French navigator who traveled around the world led an expedition to grow scientific and cultural knowledge and he, the extraordinary thing is he arrived at Botany Bay only three days after the English first fleet which marked the beginning of colonization white colonization of Australia uh, and so I, I read his journals that survived because he left copies here before he set sail from Australia but he disappeared at sea he was never found again and and I found that incredibly poignant and his writings him to be an incredibly erudite and sensitive man and it's all about the clash and meetings of different cultures and he in his books unlike Captain Arthur Philip or, or Cook uh, talks about the absurdity of trying to claim land on behalf of some foreign king on the other side of the world so I found the contrast couldn't have been greater so that was a, a wonderful starting point inspiration for me to write some music that was inspired by the countries he visited and the cultures he encountered but also his eventual disappearance. And it also turned up all those questions of identity and where do we fit in, where do we belong, who is our group, who is our tribe, who am I as a, as a, as a, a white Australian today living in Australia, and my own, my own migrant background, how do I fit into the, into the bigger picture? So again, that was a starting point to write music that, that just attempts to explore some of those emotions, I guess. And La Perouse is just around the cliff that's right, that southern cliff that we just were walking towards, towards a few minutes ago. La Perouse is just a, a couple of kilometres further down. And what's the history of Maroubra Beach? Maroubra Beach has a couple of famous shipwrecks here. Yeah. Um, oh, one was at the in the 1920s, I think, and the other one was the 1880s, a steamship that 
thought it was the entrance to Sydney Harbour and turned, turned inwards too soon. Got wrecked just there. In fact, you can still go and, and snorkel above it, which I've done in summer when it's warmer. Just where the surfers are, if you're looking out here, right underneath those, the stormwater drain with the Rubik's Cube, the surfers, well, underneath those surfers, there's this amazing shipwreck that when the conditions are right, you can actually see fully exposed lying underneath you in 10 metres of water. It's extraordinary. And then further south at that point we were walking towards is the, there's two boats, there was the Malabar and the Heroin. That was a, a, a ship that was travelling up, I think, from the south coast and misjudged. I thought it was the entrance to Sydney Harbour turn-in and there was a terrible loss of life just on those cliffs where we were walking. Well, let's walk up to this um, uh, Rubik's Cube. Yes. <laughs> There's an enormous Rubik's Cube sitting on the beach. Uh, and the sun has now come out. Yay! The sun is out. Nice it's, sun. The seagulls look happy and... They're having a little bath <laughs> in the in the wave breaks. There's a woman with her son sitting on the ledge enjoying the sun. Five past. And it's five past, nearly time. I stopped the recording again to take a shot of Chris by the giant Rubik's Cube on the beach. Then we head back up to the street so I can catch the bus. What would a perfect day in Chris Cody, Sydney look like? Oh, I think a, a trip to the beach and a swim. Uh, maybe a, a breakfast at a cafe. And then driving over to the harbour always looks great to look at the opera house and the bridge. Um, up around Bondi as well, up to out to Watson's Bay is a fantastic place to look up the harbour. I do like this part of Sydney um, just because of the presence of the sea and the coast. Uh, but it's not where I grew up. I grew up uh, more up, uh, sort of in bushland, but uh, yeah, it's, it's great living by the sea. I'm very thankful for that. And on your perfect day, what would you eat and smell and touch? Oh, sand, in the, yeah, your toes. I touch the <laughs> sand and the, and the water, the sea, and and I, yeah, taste it and smell it and swim in it. I love it. And uh, and then, yeah, eating wise, well, there's, there's a bakehouse just here. Well, it's nice to get a good uh, Vietnamese pho. That reminds um, me of Belleville. Yes, <laughs> well, my local dish. I think you were the one who told me that it was. It's from the Poto pho because it was the Vietnamese version of a French soup. Here's a bus. This is my bus coming up. Railway Square. Yes. yes. Uh, and what would you like to feel, touch, sense? Uh, all those things. Yeah, the air, the sea, the smell of the sea, even the smell of the stormwater drain we were standing on a minute ago by the Rubik's cube. It's all part of life. You've got to take it all. The good with the bad, the beautiful with the ugly. <laughs> 395 yeah. buses here. Oh, sorry we didn't get a chance to get a coffee. We can have coffee but, next um, time. Yeah, we'll, we'll get together again. Send me some music so we can all listen to it. Yes, okay. Some mix. Yeah. Fantastic. Right, right, time then. for the bus. Bye, thanks. <laughs> and we're off. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sense in the City Sydney with Chris Cody. Find out more about the project on Sense in the Dot City or Instagram Sense in the City Sydney. Check out the show notes for links to Chris's music and for the Paris book. And for now, enjoy Chris Cody's departures from his Astrolab project about La Perouse.
Produced by Ruby TV and Pilot Media. Sense in the dot city.